Mission Mobilization Chats with Ryan Shaw, Multiplying Mission Mobilization Movements. This podcast is powered by Global Mission Mobilization Initiative. Subscribe, watch, and listen on YouTube today. Find more exciting resources, teachings, and tools for mission mobilization on globalmmi.net. Welcome to episode number 22 of our Mission Mobilization Chats podcast. And in this podcast, we're looking at cutting-edge topics related to mission mobilization across our denominations, our church networks, our campus ministry organizations, our local, our local ministries. So in this episode, number 22, we are seeking to align with Jesus' own outlook on what the global harvest looks like to God. So we want to allow the Holy Spirit in this episode to reveal to us from God's word what his future purposes are and what the culmination even of human history, where history is moving towards. What does that look like from God's perspective? So a phrase that we use a lot in GMMI circles is the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. The fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. This is a phrase that we teach a lot in our trainings. We talk a lot about this in different meetings. We pray a lot about it in our Global Harvest Prayer Room that we pray uh, every day. We pray for this, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. There's even a a big uh, banner on the side of our prayer room that has this prayer, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. But what do we exactly mean by that phrase? When you hear this, when other people hear that phrase, we all think of something a little bit different. So what is it that we mean by this phrase, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation? Well, a simplified explanation would be a belief that the redemptive purpose of God, which was initiated by God way back in the book of Genesis with Abraham, right? that this redemptive purpose of God would finally be realized. It has an end. There will come a time when it is completed. And then, once the fulfillment is completed, or once that redemptive purpose of God is finally realized, then Jesus' kingdom will be fully established through the second coming uh, of our great King, of Jesus Christ coming in the clouds with great glory. So we know that God is the God of hope, right? He's the God of victory. He's the God of personal salvation. And He has an ultimate goal. Did you know that? A lot of times we overlook this reality. He has an ultimate goal for human history, and that goal is never lost sight of. God didn't kind of get confused uh, in the ancient world with Israel and kind of say, well, maybe we're going to stop this redemptive purpose. No, he is always looking towards the future and God is always orchestrating events, even now, that will end up moving us as the body of Christ and as the world uh, towards seeing this culmination, this redemptive purpose of God uh, finally realized. Now, the Old Testament prophets, they consistently talked about this. Now, they didn't use our language, uh, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. They didn't even use that language of the, the redemptive purpose of God finally being realized. But they consistently 
pointed to the coming day of God. And when we hear that word or the phrase in the Old Testament, the coming day of the Lord, it has implications related to this issue of the redemptive purpose of God finally being realized. They were, the prophets consistently looked towards this kind of a day. When Jesus is, when God's righteousness would be fully triumphant. And then you remember in, in the book of Habakkuk, the, uh, the apostle, not apostle, the prophet Habakkuk said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That was a future-oriented look on Habakkuk's part, looking to this day when the redemptive purpose of God would finally be realized. You know, we're not there yet. Sometimes I hear that verse used to talk about uh, where we're at today. It's not. It's a future-oriented promise, prophetic promise. We've not seen this yet. We've not seen the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a future prophetic promise uh, related to how God sees the fulfillment of the Great Commission or how God sees the coming global harvest. So our eyes are meant, though we're not there yet, Habakkuk and the Old Testament prophets uh, and all through the Bible, our eyes are meant to be lifted and meant to be always ever looking towards that day the day of the Lord, as the Old Testament prophets called it, or the day when the redemptive purposes of God will finally be realized among all the people groups. That's what we're working towards. That's what we're looking towards. And everything that we do in terms of the work of the global body of Christ is meant to be hastening the coming of that day in all that we do as the global church. All of our ministry emphasis should be looking with God towards this ultimate day of seeing the redemptive purpose of God uh, finally realized. You know, sometimes I think uh, that we in the global body of Christ might be a little bit guilty of something. That in our unsanctified imaginations, we sometimes are guilty of envisioning something very different about the great harvest from every people group, about this fulfillment of the Great Commission, about this realization of the redemptive purpose of God, we imagine something in our minds that is actually very, very different than what God has in mind and what the Word of God actually tells us. The Bible actually gives us not just glimpses, but entire prophecies and pictures and illustrations of what this day is going to look like. And when I say day, I'm not speaking of one day. I'm speaking of a transition from this generation of the age that we live in to the, uh, the, the coming age of the glory of God being realized, all these things. The Bible actually reveals something very clear, and we're going to get into that uh, in a moment. So I regularly hear it cited among some mission-minded people that are focused on the unreached, focused on frontier peoples, that if we can just get a few people saved, okay, from all these unreached people groups, if we can just get a few saved, then we will kind of have been faithful to Jesus's great commission. And I understand the mindset. I used to have that mindset myself. And it's a mindset, I think, that is uh, looking at the world today, the hostility of the world, the difficulty of Hindu peoples and Muslim peoples and Buddhist type peoples and how resistant they are to Jesus now 
that we say, well, if we can just get a few, we'll be doing okay. We'll be doing things the way that Jesus uh, asked us to do it. But I've come to see that Jesus's plan is very, very different from this. He has a big picture plan and will and purpose that looks very different than just a few people being saved from each ethnic people group. So we're going to get into that a little bit as we look at some scripture. So the first verse we want to look at, the first passage about this subject is John, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. And this is the apostle John uh, having God reveal a vision to him of what the throne of God is going to be like. All right. So this is Revelation chapter 7 Verse 9, so we know the book of Revelation is the book of the end times, the book of the final things, right, that unveils to us uh, what that period is going to kind of look like. All right, so this is what Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says. He says, after these things, I looked. So this is John talking. So John looked and he saw a vision. It says, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, of all tribes, of all peoples, and all tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So this is a powerful uh, Bible verse that actually reveals much that ought to boost our faith. It should give us confidence to see with the Holy Spirit's eyes concerning the global harvest and the extent of that global harvest that God intends to bring forth at the end of the age. All right. So this vision in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 that John sees is a great multitude around the throne. And so that is actually the result of all of the deliberate cross-cultural emphasis that the global church has done among all the ethnic people groups of the world before Jesus returns. What John is seeing is a picture of the end result. It's the result of all the incredible work where the body of Christ has been mobilized, where the body of Christ has been activated into cross-cultural mission. Not just a few missionaries, but the whole church together, the global church together, recognizing the importance of this and moving forward to actually see it accomplished. This is what John is seeing. It's the result of the mission movement, we can say. So this picture or this vision then that John sees, it's actually the culmination of the global church that is now aligned with Jesus's heartbeat for mobilization. These mission mobilization chats, we're talking a lot about the inner workings of mobilization across denominations and across local ministries and across uh, our organizations. Well, that is not yet an emphasis. Mobilization is not yet. That's where we believe God is leading. And this verse, I think, gives evidence of that. Because again, it's the, uh, the outworking. It's the final result. It's the final product. Well, how did they get there? How did we get to John or Revelation chapter 7 verse 9? Well, it was through the church being mobilized. And then out of that mobilization, scattering forth Literally millions, I believe, of message bearer teams that are going to the frontier ethnic peoples that are near to them as well as distant to them. That's the picture that we see in Revelation chapter 7 9. So it's also a picture of how God views this fulfillment of the Great Commission that we've been talking about or this redemptive 
purpose of God finally being realized. The picture of Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 gives the illustration of how God sees the redemptive, uh, his own redemptive purpose finally being realized. So what's happening here in this vision in Revelation 7, 9 is John is, is seeing into the future, right? That's, that's very clear. God is pulling back the veil so that John can actually see beyond the end of this age. And he's seeing beyond the second coming of Christ. And he's seeing into the days of Jesus' millennial kingdom reign. He's seeing the first images of what that reign, that millennial kingdom, when Jesus is crowned the glorious king of all the earth. Okay, We don't go away to heaven for that. He actually comes to the earth for that. And he's reigning here on the earth. Well, this vision around the throne in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it's actually giving us a privilege of seeing into, beyond the veil, of what that looks like after the fulfillment of the Great Commission and after uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So what we want to ask, though, about this picture is what is it that John is actually seeing? What are the symbols? What are the illustrations? What are the pictures that he's seeing? Well, he's seeing a throne room, right? And he's seeing Jesus pictured as a lamb that was slain, who was on the throne. All right? And around the throne, there are multitudes of people from literally every tribe, right? Every tongue, every single ethnic people group around the whole planet. Missiologists and mission uh, statisticians and scholars, they tell us there's about... 6,000 unreached people groups that are still remaining outside of a relevant hearing of the gospel. But there are 16,000, depending on how you count them, different people uh, count them a little differently, etc. Maybe about 16,000 total uh, ethnic people groups, not just unreached, but total ethnic people. That means around this throne, we're going to have at least 16,000 people groups represented. Okay, And that's what John is seeing. But then there's a key word in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 that I think is the key to interpreting this passage uh, according to the heartbeat of God and allowing it to build faith and confidence in our hearts for what is coming, for what God has in his heart related to the great harvest. Okay, and it's these words. He says, I saw, he says, a great multitude which nobody could number. A great multitude which no one could number. So those words tell us something very, very significant. Okay, so what he's saying is, we're not just talking about a few from all these 16,000 uh, ethnic people groups who are going to be saved. He's actually talking about from every represented ethnic people group which makes up the totality, the completeness of all of the peoples uh, ever to be created by the hand of God, he's saying within each group, there's going to be a large number. He says, what does he say? A great multitude which no one could number is there before the throne. So we know that it's a large number representing every unre or every single uh, ethnic people group, unreached now or not. Because he says the, the number is uncountable. That's staggering. Think about that. It's uncountable. Now, human beings have been created by God in his own image with a very good mind. God has created our brains to be able to be 
quite advanced and quite smart, we can say, right? Brilliant thinking that God has empowered us to be able to do, all right? So when the Bible, the uh, perfect word of God that has no error in it whatsoever says it was a great number that no one could number, or a great multitude, I mean, that no one could number. That means that human beings and all their brilliance cannot dream up this number. That means it has to be a huge number because we can count into the billions, into the trillions, into the whatever's next, gazillions. I don't think that's a thing, but anyway. So we know it's an uncountable number and we want to let that touch our hearts. It's supposed to stagger us. When we read Revelation 7-9, it's supposed to make us pull back and go, did John just say a multitude that no one could number? Yeah, that's what he said. Wow. That has huge implications then for the mission movement. Well beyond just a few from every group kind of hanging on until the dear end and maybe getting into the kingdom of God, you know, by the skin of their teeth. No, the Bible reveals something entirely different. All right. Now we've looked at a vision there in that passage, Revelation 7, 9 of the end of the age. Now we want to look at another passage that takes us now back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, and see what God promises in the book of Genesis, what he sets forth as he is back then, in the book of Genesis, as he was then initiating his redemptive purpose uh, through his servant, through Abraham. All right, so let's take a look at this. All right, so in Genesis, God takes Abraham, right? So this is after the fall of Revelation, uh, Revelation of Genesis chapter 3. This is after the flood judgments, right? The beginning of Genesis there. In Genesis chapter 12, God now chooses this man, this one single man named Abram, who he gives the name of Abraham. And what God is doing here at the beginning is developing a people for himself through Abraham, through one faithful, obedient man. God is initiating his redemptive purpose that's going to last through all human history, all the way up to the second coming of Christ, so that we can say this fulfillment of the Great Commission, we can say this redemptive purpose of God has now been finally realized. It's finally finished. Well, that's what he started through Abraham way back in Genesis uh, chapter 12. All right. So then he gives uh, Abraham some staggering covenants. And that's what we want to look at. The word covenant just means promises, right? And he repeats them over and over so that Abraham gets it. And so that we as the people of God reading now the study of uh, or studying the, the, the Bible and the word of God and the promises of God in 2022, we can say now with confidence because he repeated them, God is not going to let these promises fail. These promises will continue to come about. And so it's as if God is saying in the Genesis account through Abraham, guys, I want you to be aware, this is where I'm taking human history. Now, in the future, after Abraham, there's going to be a lot of challenges. There's going to be a lot of pitfalls. There's going to be all kinds of disruptions to my redemptive purpose for all the ages and for all the nations. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be disappointments. 
But in the midst of all this, I am moving in a direction and I'm continuing to move forward in that direction despite world wars, despite famines, despite plagues, despite my church even being disobedient at some times, despite Israel failing in their calling to be a light to all the world. Okay, despite all of that, God is saying in the book of Genesis through these promises, I have a redemptive plan. And my redemptive plan is much greater than you guys have really realized. You've thought just a few from every people group. I have a much, I have a mind-blowing plan that I'm going to reveal uh, to you and reveal to the nations. So come back and study this in the book of Genesis. All right. So what happens there in the book of Genesis? What is it that he reveals to Abraham about the end? So he's beginning with Abraham, but he's t giving a picture of what it's going to look like at the end. Wow. Okay, and then we saw, we just saw Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, another picture or an illustration related to that end. So what does God reveal to Abraham? Well, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 16, following, you'll remember, where Abraham uh, did something very generous to Lot. And he said, Lot, I'm giving you the opportunity to choose whatever land you want to dwell in. Abraham should have been the one to choose that, but he didn't. He was a humble, generous, uh, kind man. He said, Lot, my nephew, you go ahead and choose it. So after that, God then confirms to Abraham for the very, very first time, Genesis chapter 13, verse six, uh, 16, he confirms the extent of the number that Abraham's descendants will be. So that's a future-oriented, looking to the end of the redemptive purpose being realized. We're not there yet. We're still working towards that end. But he tells Abraham, I'm going to show you how many people are going to be there at the end. All right. Let's look at what it says. Genesis chapter 13, verse 16. It says, I'm going to make your descendants. This is a promise to Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants as the dust of the earth, as the dust of the whole earth. Think about dust for a moment. Dust is made up of very, very tiny particles. And every one of those particles comes together to make kind of a mound of dust, right? Well, what that means is the number of particles on the whole earth, it says, there is so much dust around the entire planet. Our minds can't even imagine it. Just like the Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, a multitude that no one could number. Well, we're pretty smart, God. And God says, no, 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 no. You have no idea what you're talking about, little guys. Yes, you're smart, and I've given you that ability, but we're talking about numbers that you cannot even imagine being part of the fulfillment of uh, the Great Commission. So he gives him a, just a staggering truth here that your descendants will be as the dust. Then there's another promise. Then God adds to this just staggering illustration on its own a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Now this is following Abraham's saving of Lot. If you go forward in Genesis, Lot gets into a war against some kings and Abraham intervenes on his nephew's behalf and he saves him. Okay. So this is after that event. It's after the event where Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. You remember that? So this is following all that. And then God reveals himself again to Abraham. And he says another staggering phrase related to this promise of how many descendants, how many, will pe how many people will be part of this great global harvest at the end of the age. 
He says this phrase, Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 5. Look now, Abraham, toward heaven and count the stars. So shall, here's your promise, or the promise, so shall your descendants be like the stars. What? Just like the particles of sand. We can't even start to count that. Just like the stars in the heaven. Scientists tell us there are so, it's uncountable. It's a multitude that is uncountable. Just like Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. But that's not the end for God revealing this to Abraham. He, he does it one time there, another time here, another time here. Why? To give him confidence that this is real. And to give us confidence to have faith today that we're not believing just for a few saved from each unreached people. We're believing and praying and working towards a great multitude that literally nobody can number. So now we go forward in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. And this is following Abraham's obedient trust when God says, Abraham, I want you to take your promised son, Isaac, and I want you to slay him. What? Lord, this is, this is your promised son. It's, it's, this is Isaac, right? Isaac that you gave me, that this is going to, Isaac is going to continue the family line that you've started through me. And he says, I know exactly, God says, I know exactly who Isaac is, Abraham. And I've asked you to sacrifice him. Are you willing to trust me with that kind of obedience? So we know the story, right? Abraham says, yes, of course I will. And then after that, after God intervenes so that Isaac is not killed, right? Then God speaks a glorious third time to Abraham about his promise related to his descendants, okay? And what does he say this time? He says, Genesis 22, verse 17, I will multiply your descendants, Abraham, as the stars of the heaven, and then as the sand which is on the seashore. So he confirms the same thing. He's already talked about sand. He's already talked about stars. Now he puts them together into a third promise and says, I'm going to multiply your people so that they are beyond anything that is uh, remotely possible to be imagined. So we see in these three that God equates the people of God that are coming into the kingdom of God from all the tribes, all the peoples. We already saw that in Revelation chapter 7, 9. So they make up the totality, the completeness of all the ethnic peoples on the planet and they're represented. Now it's just not a few that are represented in Revelation 7, 9. It's an uncountable number like the sand, like the stars, like dust. This is what God equates the people, the great harvest to be like. And these illustrations, they're on purpose. These aren't just God kind of going, huh, what should I use to symbolize the large number? They are very much on purpose so that we can imagine from the very beginning the redemptive purpose of God being accomplished throughout all history and then at the end, uncountable numbers that are around the throne. So we see from these passages God's big plan, right? That his kingdom is meant to have many more involved in it and brought into it than most of us have ever imagined and most of us have even uh, assumed. So I've been hearing a lot these days, and I totally agree with this, 
the idea from many scholars, leaders in the body of Christ, talking about a billion soul harvest. A billion souls coming into the kingdom of God from all the unreached peoples around the world. I fully agree with this possibility. I believe this is absolutely what the Bible is revealing to us. From Genesis to Revelation, but also specifically through these passages that we've just looked at. This is what God is saying in this prophecy. The, the uh, Genesis covenants to God, it's a prophecy to us. It's God saying, you can count on this happening. It's going to happen. My people at the end of the age will be uncountable, like the sand, like the stars, uh, like the dust. Now we have to ask a theological question to really interpret this correctly. And then we'll, we'll finish this episode with this. We want to ask, who are these innumerable descendants of Abraham? Okay, this is an important theological question. Because what comes to mind for a lot of people is that Abraham's descendants are only referring to Israel after the flesh. So that means ethnic Jews. Okay. So we have to ask the question, is that limited or is God limiting these promises that he's given only to ethnic Jews? We have to come to the conclusion because we have the New Testament and we see the whole picture together, Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament actually illustrates or confirms or helps us interpret correctly the Old Testament. So who are these descendants? We have to say, no, they are not only ethnic Jews. Instead, they represent all those throughout history who have been grafted into the vine of Israel. It's still the vine of Israel, but now all the Gentiles have been opened up and welcomed and invited to be grafted in to the vine of Israel through faith in the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, they don't come in, even Jews don't come into the kingdom without believing in Jesus. Sometimes there's a wrong understanding. Well, if they just have faith, you know, in the Old Covenant, Old Testament God, that that's okay. No, they need to believe in Jesus with the same faith that Abraham had uh, back in his day. So it's referring, when we talk about this innumerable number of descendants that God promised to Abraham, at the end of the age, we know it's all of those from every tribe, tongue, language. And we know that because of what Revelation 7, 9, what we just read. It was from every different group, not just uh, the ethnic Jews. So the picture that God has given us in Revelation 7, 9, and then in these accounts that we've just looked at in the book of Genesis at the very beginning, they give us an uncountable number of descendants across every ethnic grouping that is believing in Jesus with the same measure of faith that Abraham had. And all of us together now are grafted into a global family through the work of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. So it's referring to all of these. It's not just ethnic Jews. We need to get that clear. All right. So when God gives Abraham these history-spanning, mind-blowing prophecies and covenants, He's saying, and guess what, Abraham? Yes, it's going to be Jews, but then through the Jews and through my people, uh, through Jesus inaugurating the kingdom of God and then the coming of the Holy Spirit so that all peoples now, it's a universal gospel meant to go all across the earth to bring in the great harvest and into the kingdom. All those uh, who believe in Jesus this, with the same faith that Abraham had. 
So in closing, I just want to challenge us. We need to sometimes throw off some of our small-minded ideas related to this redemptive purpose of God being realized and how many people that's going to actually include. And this gives me great faith. So when we're praying and believing for God, for great movements of the Holy Spirit in Muslim-dominated countries, in Hindu-dominated countries, maybe where there's been little response, these verses give us confidence. These verses raise our faith to say, God, even among the Muslim groups, even among the Hindu groups, even among the Buddhist groups where it's difficult, it's hostile, it's hard. You, Lord, through your church going forth in faithfulness, no matter how hard it is, you are redeeming an uncountable number of people from those groups. So let faith arise in the people groups that you're praying for, in the people groups that you're working with, in the people you're mobilizing to get involved in the Great Commission. This is our end, we could say. This is the future. A great multitude from every single background that no man can number. Amen? Let me close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your perspective on the global harvest. That you see a picture that few of us see. But now we've seen it in your word, we've studied it, we've recognized its validity, and we believe, Lord, that you're calling us to be participating in bringing forth this great global harvest. Not just imagining a few from the Muslim groups, but a great multitude. Lord, we believe that this is possible because you've promised it. You've prophesied it. You've given it as an unbreakable covenant. This will happen. And so, Lord, we go forth with faith. We go forth with belief that you're moving us towards these ends. Help us, Holy Spirit, deepen our vision, grow our vision, so that we see the great harvest through your uh, lenses, from your perspective, oh God. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you today. To listen to more Mission Mobilization Chats, subscribe on YouTube or go to globalmmi.net.